Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, there are two types of people in this world. Uh-oh. People who get spell pierced <laughs> and people who spell pierce other people. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Which type of person are you? <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to use the intro as a time to bring this up. And I'm glad that you did. You did not disappoint. Um, ben is referencing, for folks who haven't watched it yet, uh, our latest showdown video for Channel Fireball. We talked about that we do these uh, every couple weeks for them over on their YouTube channel. Uh, free content for you where we join the same draft pod. You see each of our drafts and then we play out a best of three match against each other, both hands revealed. It's really, really good limited content in my opinion. And uh, this past week, we had a matchup where in game one, I cast a mirror shell crab to avoid leaving. Lethal. And then at the beginning of game two, Ben was like, of course, I got got by a counter spell that like required me to pay extra mana in that game. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it, Ben? It was not the end of the story. And if you want to see what may be leading to the end of the podcast, go check out this video. <laughs> Yeah, Ben declared in the YouTube video that the podcast was over. So as I got on Discord, as I like loaded up Audacity this morning, and I was waiting for 10 o'clock to roll around, I was wondering, is Ben going to show up? Is the podcast truly over? I'm glad that the show is going to go on. You're a true professional. I'm here mostly because I have faith that you know that you were out of line <laughs> and that you're a good person <laughs> deep down in your soul. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try and do better next time, I promise. I appreciate it. How, how are things going? How is the world of magic for you as uh, Neon Dynasty is, you know, sort of in the past, I would say, though I, I'm still enjoying playing it. There's some other formats on offer on various uh, digital platforms. What have you been playing recently? I've been playing Neo still. I The nice. drafting is a bit of a snooze for me, but I do still really enjoy playing the games out mostly i am looking forward to tinkerer's cube at this point but i'll still play some neo this week yeah for sure i have not touched the ravnica mixer sealed i actually don't know if the, the prize structure for sealed on arena is generally atrocious like you need six wins in best of one to break even and then seven wins is like barely profit um so i don't know if it's the same structure as it's been before but if it is then i definitely don't have interest in it i have dipped my toe into the mardu cube that's on magic online uh, a few times which is pretty fun i was like they, they've done these like three color wedge shard cubes before but they've all always included blue so i was like "Ooh, a cube without blue i'm listening um <laughs> and it's been pretty fun it actually has five companions in it so i've definitely been enjoying doing some some garuda and obosh nonsense in that cube um but it's pretty fun if uh if folks want to check that out that's up until wednesday but today we're gonna be learning the streets ben we're gonna be looking at all the previewed commons and uncommons for streets of new capenna thus far it's april 10th we'll, we'll make sure to check at the end of the episode to make sure we haven't missed anything that's come out but i'm excited to take a look at the the new and returning mechanics and all of these sweet sweet cards and see what your thoughts are Heck yeah. New format time is finally here, and I am thrilled to talk about some new cards. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's take care of some housekeeping stuff real quick. First things first, we want to shout out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, is where folks can go to give back to the show. Uh, you know, we always talk about it when a new set comes out that the Discord, which is what everybody gets access to, no matter what tier you choose to sign up for, you get access to the Discord, a fantastic limited community, 24-7 limited tech support. It's great when a new set rolls around, but honestly, it's also great for these one-off formats. You know, Dominaria was on Arena last Last week, we had this new uh, Ravnica Mixer sealed this week. Shout out again to our mods who just are fantastic at taking care of what needs to be available for folks in the Discord when these new formats come out. But also, it's just a great spot. Like, let's say you've never drafted Dominaria. Boom, we take the Dominaria channel, we unarchive it, we bring it to the top of the Discord for folks who are playing in that format. You can see what old trophy decks look like. You can just pick up the conversation right where it left off the last time. So I really love that feature of the Discord, and I feel like that's not one that we talk about a lot. So it's great for these little one-off formats it'll be great when we pick up tinkerer's cube talk about the the shifts there that are coming from the new sets the new cards that are being added and then you know see what's winning and all that good stuff so that's a really fun part of the discord i think and of course uh, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week they joined so this week we are welcoming sheesh robert matt eduardo eric daniel sam and steven thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough and the crash course is right around the corner you want to be in on the discord when the crash course hits because that's when it explodes yeah absolutely this is going to be actually a really interesting release time for the discord we're gonna have a lot of paper screenshots ben in we that first week have a lot of paper <laughs> screenshots work on that lighting everybody 
Yeah, get some good lighting. Make sure your LGS has those uh, those overhead lamps on because we're going to need to have uh, have clear pictures there of your decks if we're going to give feedback on what your pool should be. But I'm excited about that. I am jazzed and ready to go to my LGS uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's really sweet for it to not feel like negative EV for you and I mm. to go to a paper pre-release. I'm very excited. My brother's going to come down from Indianapolis and we're going to all go pre-release together. It's going to be sweet. That's really fun. Yeah, I agree. Like oftentimes people, you know, when, when there's overlap and people are like, hell, are you going to go like play in paper, play a paper pre-release. I'm like, why? Like, there's not really an incentive for me to do that. I could do like four drafts online and stream them in the time that it would take me to do like one draft in paper or whatever. So why should I do that? But now I don't have to make that choice and I get to play some paper magic with some uh, some good folks. So I'm looking forward to that. For sure. Speaking of paper magic, you might need some paper cards and the best place to get those paper cards, channelfireball.com. Best place for anything and everything you need magic related. Another sponsor of our podcast and they've got new Capenna pre-orders on the CFB Marketplace ready for you to pre-order and get those cards in your hands as soon as new Capenna comes out. And if we haven't talked about it enough, the Pro Tour is back, which means Oof. your paper collection may be lacking from the past year <laughs> or two. And there's Pioneer. I'm sure there's going to be modern stuff. So if you need to get paper cards, please, please, please head over to the Channel Fireball Marketplace and make sure you use code LOL for anything that you get over there. Or maybe you're getting on CFB Pro. You want to make a push to get on the Pro Tour. Whatever you're doing, please use code LOL to let them know that we sent you over there. Oh, my God. Not only was that a one take wonder ad read, but just a 10 out of 10 segue right into it, Ben. Gotta, gotta shout you out there. That was amazing. All right. Let's get into the new mechanics for Streets of New Cabana. So this is a a shard format, right? Am I, am I using the, it's not a wedge. It's, just, it's a shard. Shards. Yes. OK, so uh, five three color families, if you will, are going to be in this format. So we'll start off with each mechanic that is associated with that family. So first up, we have the Obscura family, which is Esper for you, you old school folks. That's white, blue and black. And their main mechanic is Connive. So if a creature you control is instructed to connive, here's what you do. You loot, so you draw a card and then discard a card. But if you discard a non-land card when you are doing this looting, you put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. So for example, we have Ledger Shredder, which is a rare. Well, we'll talk about a few rares here in the uh, the explanation portion, but then we'll be focusing on commons and uncommons for the bulk of the episode. So Ledger Shredder is a one and a blue for a one, three, Bird Advisor with flying, and whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, Ledger Shredder connives. So this is a repeatable way to connive, so it can grow potentially multiple times over the course of the game. Yeah, and we've seen, we'll see in some of these cards that we're going to preview, a lot of returning things like this that aren't necessarily mechanics are coming back. You know, casting a second spell each turn or drawing mm. your second card each turn. There's a lot of hidden triggers like that that aren't necessarily keyworded, but types of things we've seen on creatures before for sure all right moving on to the next family we've got the maestros which is grixis it's going to take me so long to learn these family names i'm going to be like charlie with the tribes on survivor no, no, no. <laughs> remember we, we thought that was going to be tough for strixhaven and we learned those pretty quick i think this will be easy Ooh, maestros their mechanic <laughs> is casualty which is a new mechanic and so whenever you cast a spell with casualty you can sacrifice a creature with power N or greater, where N is the number that appears after casualty. So for something like casualty two, you have to sacrifice a creature with power two or greater. Or if it's casualty four, you have to sacrifice a creature with power four or greater. If you choose to sacrifice a creature, a triggered ability happens that copies the spell. And if the original spell required any targets, you get to choose new targets for your copy. And then that copy is put on the stack, so it's not cast. So you can't just infinitely loop casualty mm -hmm. cards you can you can casualty once and get two total copies of the spell and so then that copies on the stack it can be responded to like normal it can be countered like normal and then your copy is going to resolve before the original actual spell on the stack so you can max get two copies of a spell with casualty so we've got a card here a little chat what's going on there a little chat is one in a blue for an instant with casualty one. And it says, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the other on the bottom of your library. So, you know, it's sort of a card selection spell one for one. But if you sacrifice a creature with power one or greater, you got a one one token floating around. Then you get to do this twice for two mana, which is pretty darn powerful. Yes, except at a cost to your yeah. board, which is awkward. I don't know how I feel about casualty. We're going to see a lot of casualty cards this mm -hmm. episode. And I'm very curious after we've seen a lot of the cards to pick your brain about what you think of the mechanic. Okay, I'll uh, I'll hold my thoughts until later. 
Next up, we've got the Riveteers, which is black, red, green. That's uh, that's my family, Ben. Uh, and their mechanic is Blitz. Blitz is an alternative cost that appears on several Riveteer creature cards. As you cast a spell, you can cast it normally for its mana cost, or you can choose to cast it for its Blitz cost. Casting a spell for its Blitz cost has several effects. The creature gains haste, and it gains the text, when this creature dies, draw a card. But you also won't have to wait too long for that card because at the beginning of the next end step, you sacrifice the creature. So basically, your creature has two modes. It can just be normal, can come into play normally for its normal mana cost, or you can cast it for its blitz cost, which is, I think, effectively generally going to be cheaper would be my guess, but it comes into play, gains haste, dies at the beginning of the next end step, and you draw a card. So for example, we've got Jaxus the Troublemaker here. This is three and a red for another rare. This is a 2-3 legendary creature, Human Warrior, and its blitz cost is one and a red. So you can either cast it for four, have it stick around, or you can blitz it for one and a red, and then you're going to have to sacrifice it at your end step and draw a card. So its ability is red, tap, discard a card, create a token that's a copy of another target creature you control, it gains haste, and when this creature dies, draw a card, sacrifice to the beginning of the next end step. So essentially you can pay red, discard a card to make a blitz token. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is perhaps the most complicated example card <laughs> that that Watsi could have chosen for this uh, for this thing. We just basically copy and pasted from their their article about the mechanics. Yeah, so Blitz seems exciting. It's definitely for like a a, a, a color trio that I like very much. It is uh, not a mechanic that I identify with. It seems quite aggressive, but there's also some value there in terms of you know the creature cycles itself. So I'll be curious to see how this. Uh, mechanic is applied to, you know, commons or uncommons. For sure. And speaking of the Riveteers being your family, for anybody that hasn't seen your <laughs> video yet, I got to shout you out on this. You you made a preview video on Twitter where you were Vito Tupperware That's and right. did just the most fantastic ad for Streets of New Capenna. So if you're on Twitter and you haven't seen Ethan's video where he is Vito Tupperware, it's a minute long and it is going to be well worth the minute of your time. Thank you. Thank you for the shout out. Yeah, I did my just worst Marlon Brando from the Godfather impression. So make sure you head on over, <laughs> head on over to check that out. Next up, we've got the Cabaretti family. That is Naya, which is white, red and green. And their new mechanic is Alliance. So there's nothing super complicated with Alliance here. It basically incentivizes you to want a lot of creatures and as many as you can get entering the battlefield in the same turn. So with Alliance, there's nothing super complicated here. Basically, it is a keyword for a triggered ability that happens when a creature enters the battlefield under your control. So if one of your creatures has Alliance and another creature enters the battlefield, you're going to get some sort of effect. And if you have multiple mm -hmm. creatures with Alliance, all of those Alliance triggers are going to stack when you have a new creature entering the battlefield. So this is basically going to be going wide, tokens, all that sort of thing. And you want as many Alliance triggers going on the stack as possible. So as an example here, we've got Devilish Valet. This is two in a red for a 1-3 Devil Warrior, another rare. It's got Trample Haste and Alliance whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control. Double Devilish Valet's power until end of turn. So first creature comes into play, 2-3. Next creature comes into play, 4-3 Trample Haste. And if you get another creature, whew, you're looking at 8-3 Trample Haste. All right, question for you. Yeah. Do you think we're going to see a Raise the Alarm reprint? That, so that's two mana instant make two one ones. I mean, there's not Raise the Alarm, but one of the charms, that's one of the modes, right, baby? Yeah, but like that's a three color uncommon. I'm talking about I'm talking about that as fan. I want that at common, baby. Ooh, that seems greedy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you think that's OP? Yes. I, I don't know. All right. But I just feel like the last time we saw Raise the Alarm and whatever course that it wasn't very good. So I want to I want to give it uh, give it that bump. All right. All right. So Ben says no to a Raise the Alarm variant. I say yes. Uh, last up, we've got the Brokers, which is Bant. That's white, blue and green. And their mechanic is Shield Counters. So Shield Counters provide two benefits. First, if a permanent with a Shield Counter on it would be destroyed by an effect, a Shield Counter is removed from the permanent instead of the creature being destroyed. And the second benefit works against damage. So not necessarily lethal damage, just any damage. If a permanent with a shield counter on it would be dealt damage, that damage is prevented and a shield counter is removed from the permanent. So the prevention effect works to stop any form of damage, whether it's combat or damage by, dealt by spells or damage dealt because of activated or triggered abilities. So for example, we have Disciplined Duelist, which is green, white, blue for a 2-1 human citizen at Uncommon. It has double strike, and when it enters the battlefield, it comes in with a shield counter on it. So a three mana, two, one, double strike with a shield counter. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a fine card. I'm not like particularly crazy about it. I mean, it seems fine. Yeah, I mean, obviously 
a lot of context is important when you look at a three mana one toughness creature, right? That that card can be, you know, good to terrible, depending on what the X1 hate is like in the format. For sure. We've got one returning mechanic also. This is Hideaway, which has received a small update since it last appeared. Hideaway is an ETB triggered ability. And when a permanent with Hideaway of some number, maybe that's three, enters the battlefield, you'll look, for example, at the top three cards of your library and then exile one of them face down and put the rest on the bottom of your library. And then permanents with Hideaway have another ability that lets you play that exiled card that you chose without paying its mana cost under certain conditions. So basically, the bigger the Hideaway number is, the more chance you have of hitting a really good card to exile. And then once you meet those conditions, you can pay that card without paying its mana cost. Yeah. So what uh, what do we got as an example here? We've got Wiretapping, another rare. This is four and a blue for an enchantment with Hideaway five. So when ETBs, you look at the top five cards of your library, exile one, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And the enchantment says, whenever you draw your first card during each of your draw steps, draw a card. So personal Howling Mine, that's great. Drawing two cards mm-hmm. a turn. Then if you have nine or more cards in hand, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. Probably don't care about that that much. You just want to draw two cards a turn. Yeah, right, 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 for sure. It's so funny when they like were talking about this in the article about the update of Hideaway. I didn't realize the like restrictions before that like Hideaway like always meant the thing came into play tapped and that Hideaway was always four. I was, I was just like, I don't know. I've just played with Sheldock Isle. I guess I always assumed that <laughs> those things were were true, but they, uh, they've now been updated. So yeah, looking forward to that. Again, another mechanic that I'm like, all right, so I'm seeing this on a rare. How is this going to be for limited? Will this be on uncommons or commons even? Uh, we'll have to see. Well, and before we get into specific cards here, I just want to talk about these mechanics with you a little bit because something sticks out to me at least just initially i was trying to look for overlap Mm. and i feel like some of them have a lot of overlap and others don't and just already heading into the format that has me wondering if certain families are going to be better than others because of the overlap so with casualty and blitz those just naturally pair super well together right because if you blitz something out you're going to have to sacrifice it at the end of the turn anyway and you get to draw a card when the creature dies And then Casualty wants you to sacrifice things to make copies of spells, right? So those are naturally super powerful together, right? Well, and I think you can then talk about Blitz and Alliance as well, right? Alliance wants creatures to enter the battlefield. It doesn't matter if they're going to stick around for a while. And if Blitz is a cost reduction, then you and and you're not like really getting a negative effect in terms of the blitzed creature will recoup value, right? It will draw you a card when it leaves at the end of turn or whether it dies in combat, whatever. And so that's going to trigger all your Alliance stuff as well. So there's an overlap there. And I think even zooming out a little bit, we should talk about a the three color you know, approaching a three color format. And one of the things that you want to look for is the overlap of two colors. So it's important there, you know, Ben's talking about casualty and blitz. Well, it's also important to note that that overlaps in terms of the mechanics playing well together, but also that two of the three colors are overlapping in those two families, right? You get black and red in both of those three color families. Right. And so that sets you up for lots of things during the draft. One, you can start out black, red, and then like try to feel out whether mm-hmm. the maestros, which is black, blue, red, or the riveteers, which is black, red, green, is more open and then kind of choose your family later in the draft, as it were. Or you can stay black, red and maybe splash powerful cards from the maestros and powerful cards from the riveteers and be like a base black, red deck that has splashes of two other colors, depending on how good the fixing is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if there are, you know, like when we played Cons of Tarkir, which I guess was the last three color set we played. Is that right? I guess so. Yeah, that's crazy. That was like eight years ago or something. Last time we played a three color set, there were even some two color decks, right? There was white, black warriors. There was your blue, green tempo two drop deck. So it'd be interesting to see if there are those two color decks that are going to appear out of this three color format. And then of course, you do want to recognize the two color pairs that overlap that you want to be paying attention to are the allied color pairs, right? So, you know, if you look at the back of a magic card, you know, we haven't played paper in years, so who has the back of a magic card? But when you look at the back (laughs) of a magic card, the colors that touch each other on that that back in that circle, those are the allied color pairs, and those are going to be the ones that have overlap of multiple families in the format. Right, so for example, if you start white-black in a draft, which are enemy colors, that's only going to fit into Obscura, which is white, black, blue. So you really want to right. look for those allied color pairs because then that gives you the option to go into two different allied shards or whatever, the families if, mm-hmm. for this set, you know? Yeah, exactly. But past those couple of mechanics in Casualty and Blitz and then also Blitz and Alliance, mm. the white and the blue 
don't have tons of overlap, right? Shield counters don't work great with connive. Connive doesn't work great with casualty. So that already has me right off the bat a little less excited potentially for um, Esper and Bant or Obscura and Brokers. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, th- that's what the people want. They want those early, early <laughs> takes. So I appreciate you throwing that out there. But my sort of like gut reaction is feels a little too early to tell. But I think that's the kind of thing you want to be looking for initially. And even if you just have an inkling of that going into your first draft or your first weekend of drafts, if you just think, eh, I, my guess is that I'm supposed to bias towards these colors or these families because of the overlap, that's a good spot to be, I think. Yes. Right now, if this was all the information I had, I would be yeah. starting black red. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, let's check out uh, some specific cards here. We've got a new cycle of lands. These are for the allied color pairs. So I'll, again, like white, green, uh, blue, black, black, red, red, green, etc. cetera. Uh, we've got, for example, Botanical Plaza. So these are ETB tapped lands. Uh, this one enters the battlefield tap. It taps for green or white. And then they all have this activated ability of two plus their colors that they tap for. So two green, white here. Tap, sacrifice it to draw a card. These seem busted to me interesting so compare these to the scry lands from strixhaven right so similar they came into play tapped they tapped for two colors and then i believe the activated ability was four tap scry one just way better right because you care one more about the fixing because you're more incentivized to definitely play three colors than you Mm -hmm. were in strixhaven Mm -hmm. they're the allied lands which overlap two families so for example Mm -hmm. botanical plaza is going to overlap Cabaretti and whatever Bant is called. Brokers. Brokers. It's going to be so brutal. <laughs> you're, by the end of this episode, you're going to get it. Uh, that's my guess. I hope so. Cabaretti and Brokers. So it's super powerful to pick this early, right? Because then you know it's going to go in two of the five families. Also, mm. I've got to assume if we're in a three color format, there's going to be four color decks and yes. five color decks as well. So just picking fixing early is great. And then the fact that you can cash this in later in the game for a card, everything about these seem very good to me. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what our uncommon fixing is as well. Again, if we're using cons as a reference, last time we had these uncommon uh, tap lands that tapped for one of the three colors for the wedges in that format. So I'll be curious to see if we see something like that here as well. And and fixing was quite a high pick. You know, there definitely was just a five color soup deck that you could draft, you know, snap up all the lands in pack one and then just get all the good cards in packs two and three. Yeah, there's also an Evolving Wilds variant here in Maestro's Theater. And I've got to wonder if there's one of these for each of the families. And I absolutely right. hope there is and I kind of am assuming there is. So this is a land. And when it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice it. When you do, search your library for basic island, swamp, or mountain card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle, and you gain one life. So they can go fetch a land of the three colors of whichever family it is. And also, Mm. this is just awesome design because I don't have to feel shame about being a terrible magic player and just insta-cracking my Evolving Wilds every time I play it instead of waiting till my opponent's end step. Love it. That's fair. That's fair. That is a a, a big improvement, I would say. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So I guess, you know, usually sometimes we'll see a full cycle of 10 lands at common or whatever at the at the land slot or in the, the the one in three slot so it's not quite a common whatever and since we only have five of the other lands that are etb tapped i wonder if then the other five slots go to this cycle of you know evolving wilds variant for each family would love that 10 out of 10 on design sweet all right moving on to a cycle this is a returning cycle there have historically been charms that go along with these three color sets so each of the families has their own charm and they are uncommons and they cost one mana of each of the colors of the family so first up we've got broker's charm which is green white blue instant choose one target creature you control gets plus one plus oh until end of turn it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls good effect next option destroy target enchantment fine and third option draw two cards this is just a very good limited charm right yeah, I think so. I mean, you're more likely to use either the the fight spell or the draw spell, right? But that's a nice bit of duality there. I mean, when your opponent slams that wiretapping, you also want to be able to blow that up, baby. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got the Cabaretti Charm. So red, green, white for an instant. The choices here are Cabaretti Charm deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to target creature or planeswalker. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one and gain trample until end of turn. Or create two one one green and white citizen creature tokens. So that sort of raised the alarm effect I was talking about. I think 
the raise the alarm is probably the most busted mode on this for limited if yeah. if cabaretti is the way it is in my head you know what i mean mm-hmm. like where you're going to get like three alliance triggers and then swing all and use this as a combat trick you know what i mean like that's mm-hmm. that's really potentially a huge swing in combat yeah no for sure for sure it's nice i i don't love that it sort of has the like those two modes, right? The creatures you control get plus one, plus one and gain trample. And the last mode of make two one ones feels like they might do similar things depending on what your alliance triggers look like. Um, but I guess still nice to have those choices. For sure. Next up, we've got the Maestro's Charm. That's blue, black, red for an instant. Choose one. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. And Maestro's Charm deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. Interesting. So there is like... It seems to like there's a little hint of a self mill theme, right? So this first ability, it seems a little underpowered of like, well, I'm playing three mana to look at five cards, choose one, and then put four into the graveyard. But I wonder if putting four into the graveyard is going to actually be relevant in some instances. Right. And we talked about overlap between the mechanics. There is sort of some overlap, if that's a theme that carries throughout the set of getting cards of different mana value in your graveyard. Mm -hmm. Both Maestros and Obscura will be good at that. And that overlaps in blue-black then there, right? So even though the mechanics ostensibly don't overlap in some way, if you get paid off for getting things into your graveyard, both Maestros and Obscura will be able to do that. Yeah, I'm a little cooler on this one than I am on the other two charms, I would say. Like, I don't know if I'm interested in like three mana deal five to target creature or planeswalker especially when we have like we have murder at common you know at one black black kill a thing um so i, I don't know I'm, I'm a little cooler on this but we'll see if if that if that first mode is is that good then i think this card will be better yeah uh the obscura charm is white blue black for an instant choose one return target multicolored permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped counter target instant or sorcery spell or destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less this seems fine i mean it's none of them are particularly exciting but all of them as far as having options is gonna be powerful like you're never cutting this card from an obscure deck no i don't think so but i, I wonder if you're like are you a- actively interested in multiples i have no idea yeah, I think so. But you're also not just starting to draft Obscura because you open an Obscura charm, you know? No, these, I feel like all of these charms are cards you'll take once you know this is the three color family you're drafting and not before then. Or maybe you're in the allied two color pair and you're trying to feel it right. out. You Spe- know, you speculate. Take, yeah. Right. Last charm is the Riveteer's charm, black, red and green. It's an instant. Choose one. Target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Pretty good effect. Yeah. Exile the top three cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards and exile target player's graveyard. So I, I doubt that that last one will be relevant for <laughs> limited, but maybe. I mean, if, if self-mill is a thing, um, maybe that is something you'll be wanting to do. But those first two modes are pretty darn good. Right. Kill probably the biggest threat on the battlefield and or draw three exile. Yeah. Exile the top three late in the game and get gas. Yeah, I think that's pretty darn sweet. All right, some other signpost cards that we want to look at at Uncommon that are three colors. We've got Cormella, Glamour Thief. So this is one blue, black, red for a 2-4 legendary creature, Vampire Rogue with haste. So four mana, two, four with haste. It has one tap, add blue, black, red. Spend this mana only to cast instant and or sorcery spells. So maybe a little hint to the, you know, copying spells thing that you get to do. Um, But it also says when Cormella, Glamour Thief dies... Return up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. So maybe you're maybe you're copying some spells and then maybe you're sacrificing this to copy some spells and then getting back a spell. Pretty sweet. Yeah. And essentially, this is costing five mana, right? Because you almost always want to have that one mana up when you play it so that you can haste it in. And then I guess you have the modality to do either. You could certainly play it as a four drop, but then you're exposing it to removal. So I guess if you're doing that. You want to make sure you've got an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard so that if Cormella dies, you definitely get some value. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this looks pretty darn powerful for the maestros. I mean, they are ostensibly all about instants and sorceries with casualty on them. So presumably it's going to be very easy to build around Cormella. Yeah, I think so. Next up, we've got Nimble Larcenist. This is from the Obscura family. It's white, blue, black to cast. It's an uncommon and 2-1 creature, bird rogue with flying. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact, instant, or sorcery card from it and exile that card. There's a card like this. I think it was in... Um... Got Dragon's Maze. So it was a Sin Collector. 
Ooh, yeah. One black white for a two one when it ETB'd, look at their hand and you got to choose an instant or sorcery from it. Or maybe it was just non-creature, but I think it was instant or sorcery uh, and they discarded it. Um, so this has flying, but also costs an additional color, but also lets you choose an artifact as well. I don't know. Uh, the jury's out for me on this card right now. Oh, this card seems great to me. No, I don't know. I mean, I guess you're just always nabbing a counter spell out of your opponent's hand with I'm this. just always. Yes, I'm always taking the card that my opponent is going to own me with. Yeah. Okay, great. You you love, I think if there's two words that you want to feel in a game of magic, it's warm and fuzzy. I think that's and true. I, yes. And this card gives you a little bit of a warm and fuzzy. And then I know what else is coming up. Yeah. It's just, you're safe after you cast a nimble <laughs> larcenist. It's a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. There's a reason I chose the Obscura as my family. That's true. That's true. The warm and fuzzy family. Uh, last up here, we've got Corpse Examiner. This is another Maestro card. So blue, black, red for a 3-3 Vampire Rogue. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target creature card from the graveyard. If you put a card into exile this way, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. That's really interesting. So it's got a little like scob thing from uh, original Innistrad, right? And it enters the battlefield, exile a creature from the graveyard and then get an effect. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly good. And certainly the maestros are going to be good at getting creatures in the graveyard. And then mm -hmm. again, that harkens back to you're going to want to self mill in blue black potentially. And mm -hmm. the other thing Corpse Examiner says is that we're probably getting two uncommons for each family, right? Because Corpse Examiner and Carmella are both uh, both maestros. Plus the charm, right? So that's at least three uncommons per uh, per family. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even, even we saw more. Right. So you're going to be super incentivized from that information to be most likely three colors. And if these two color decks exist, they're going to be pretty niche, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, it depends what the fixing is. And again, you're going to want to, even if like, let's say you do end up in a base enemy color, like your three color decks still are going to want to be, I cannot stress this enough, a base two color, right? You're going to want to just for functionality of your mana base, you're going to want to be leaning towards two colors and then like splashing that third one to, to you know, round out the family. Right. Well, and already looking at just these few signposts on commons, and again, we don't have enough information to really know, but just speculating. But, but get get those takes out there, Ben. <laughs> That's what I'm giving the people what they want. So the maestros, the two maestros, very obviously synergistic with what their family's trying to do with casualty. Yeah. And again, the obscure one is just a good card, right? It's not particularly synergistic with what its family is ostensibly trying to do and or with any of the other families. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah, seems seems right to me. All right, moving on to the removal spells we've seen so far, and we have seen some good ones. First up is Strangle, red for a sorcery. Strangle deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. I mean, that is efficient with a capital E. But the question is, as we look at this removal, you know, it, we've we've gone sort of back and forth, right? The past three sets, I would say, you know, we had Midnight Hunt, where I don't think removal was that important. We had Vow, where removal was super important. Then we had Neon Dynasty, where removal was not super important. So it'll be interesting to see where this format lands on the spectrum. But we've got Strangle, and we've got a really good one coming back. I alluded to it before. We've got Murder. One black black for an instant. Destroy target creature. And this is at Common. Last time we saw this was at Uncommon, right? In a core set? Right. So maybe Wizards is finally getting on board that removal is not that <laughs> removal is not that good. We can print murder at common. Yeah, exactly. Next up, we've got another red burn spell variant in light em up. This is one in a red for a sorcery and it's got casualty two. So as you cast the spell, you can sacrifice a creature with power two or greater. And when you do, you copy the spell and can choose a new target if you so desire. So when you cast Light'em Up, it deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. Yeah, I think so my first take about casualty is, I and as like you said, we've got a, a bunch of casualty spells to take a look at. Casualty one, I think, is going to be way better than any other casualty because that feels like you are likely to have, you know, I feel like you can get one, one tokens. If this is a, you know, if this is an, if we got this, we've got the Alliance thing. I think that one, ones are going to float around cards that you actually can sacrifice. Once you get to casualty two or more, you're, you're sacrificing a, a real thing, a real piece of cardboard that you've invested time and mana into. Right. That's what I think as well. Less jazzed about casualty of higher numbers for sure. Yeah. Where are you at on this just as a removal spell? Certainly worse than Strangle at first glance, right? Right. I mean, two mana 
deal two at sorcery speed is nothing to write home about. It, there's a lot of factors here to think about. Just you know, for folks out there who are like, I look, I'm I'm trying to you know sharpen my card evaluation tools as well. When I look at this card, the things that I'm looking for as more spoilers come out as we lead up to the full set being released on Friday. I'm thinking about, well, what's the creature sizing looking like? Um, how easy is it to enable casualty two? Because sometimes dealing two damage to two things, like you think about this maybe as a modal spell. Okay, so early I can just take care of their two drop on turn two, fine. And then later in the game, maybe I can pick off two actual things. Are there going to be a lot of small utility creatures? Are there looters or things with activated abilities that this can pick off so that on turn five or six, when I can enable casualty, I'm going to actually hit a real threat, you know? Um, how important is it to have something that can potentially remove a shield counter for quote-unquote free or for, you know, sacrificing something that doesn't feel like a cost? All those things are questions that I have that I'm looking to answer in the, the coming week. And I would say another one is, are there commons with Blitz that have two power Ooh, that are yeah, going to yeah. be high picks as well, right? So like later in the game, a one-two punch of Blitz this thing out, do three damage to you, post-combat, sacrifice it. And then it's like you weren't really down a card because you draw a card after you Blitz your creature out, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a really, really good point. Definitely going to be looking on the lookout for that. Uh, the last removal spell here in this category I wanted to look at was Incriminate. One on a black for a sorcery. Choose two target creatures controlled by the same player. That player sacrifices one of them. Wah, wah. Yeah, this is not great, right? The question is more, we already know this isn't good. The question is more, is this going to be playable? Yeah, I don't know, right? Like, so this is ostensibly your opponent sacks their second best creature. Is that good? Like, that's better than an edict, right? Because it's. But but worse in the sense of like, you can't fire this off on turn two, most likely. Right. It's more likely going to be a double spell later in the game, for sure. It seems similar to what was the car? What was the name of the car that was single red and their their one creature dealt damage to another oh, creature? M mutiny, I think. Yeah, it feels similar to mutiny. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I, I mean, mutiny ended up being it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible, right? Because it was so cheap. But, it, you know, the, the mana cost here, again, it, like like on mutiny was uh was a little misleading because you couldn't actually, you can't actually fire this off early in the game. Right. But you could double spell on turn four or turn five or whatever. I think this is likely going to be playable as a one of, but certainly mm -hmm. not a high pick. Yeah. All right. Let's read through these casualty spells all together and then talk about casualty at the end. Like we can give our full thoughts on it. What do you think about that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So first up is unlicensed dispatch. This is three black black for a sorcery at uncommon. It has a casualty cost of three. And the effect is search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle. Garbage. Yeah. Next is dig up the body, two in a black, instant, casualty one, mill two, then return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Interesting. I'm interested in that card. Uh, Grizzly Sigil is single black for a sorcery with casualty one. Choose target creature or planeswalker. If it was dealt non-combat damage this turn, Grizzly Sigil deals three damage to it and you gain three life. Otherwise, Grizzly Sigil deals one damage to it and you gain one life. That one doesn't seem great to me. That's no, it's interesting, right? Because it it works with itself. What do you mean? Oh, so you can if you casualty it, you'll deal the one damage and then you'll deal three damage to it. Ooh, all right. I am much more interested now. I did not I, understand how that worked. I think this card is good, right? For single for single black. Oh yeah, it's insane if that's how it works. I was <laughs> that not is, right? picturing it that I was picturing it as like some bad uh <laughs> you're already dead type effect. Yeah, well I mean it is, except it like it does the you're already dead thing with itself. Right. So then it's deal four, gain four for a single mana if you bone splinters it? Yeah. That card's busted in half. <laughs> yeah. All right, nice. All right, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Join the Maestros is up next. This is four and a black for a sorcery with casualty two. And it says create a four, three black ogre warrior creature token. I could see this being sneaky powerful, right? I mean, if you have a two drop that you're able to sacrifice for value, like a two powered creature that you're able to sacrifice for some value, five mana to put two four threes on the battlefield is a huge tempo swing. Yeah, I actually really like this card. It's a common. And so I'm wondering if... It, like this feels like if this is really good, I feel like this could be uncommon levels of good. The set common is a little scary. Like you might just be able to load up on these and overwhelm your opponent with a bunch of four threes. Yeah, we'll see. 
Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to keep my eye out on that card. Next up, we got Make Disappear. One in a blue for an instant counter target spell unless it's controller pays two. And it has casualty one. So if you sack a thing with one power or more, then counter target spell unless it's controller pays four. I hate this card. I know you do. Next up is Rob the Archives. One in red, sorcery with casualty one. Exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. I'm generally cold on the Reckless Impulse variants. This is way worse, right? Because you have to cast them this turn. Yes, I don't love this card. You're going to need a lot of mana before you're excited about Rob the Archives. Yeah, I think this this feels more like a constructed plant to me, and I think that's why it's at uncommon. I, I don't think this is actually going to be that good for limited. Um, yeah. All right. So, so thoughts on casualty as a whole? I mean, I think like half these spells seem terrible. Half of them seem <laughs> like interesting to very good. I didn't understand Grizzly Sigil at first. So very excited about Grizzly Sigil. That's the one that does one gains one and then does three gains three. If you casualty it, dig up the body as like, I'm sure that's going to be a player in the format, right? Milling, you're going to fill your graveyard and then you're going to get back some creatures. It seems like that will be good in both Obscura and the Maestros because with the Obscura, you can connive, which is their the name of their looting ability. And you can pitch your non-land spells to get plus one counters and then you can dig up the body to get those creatures back. So that one's interesting. I agree. I'm potentially very excited about the two four threes that you could yeah. make, but doesn't seem exciting to me to sacrifice creatures with power two or greater. So I think the question for me about casualty is just are there the enablers that you're interested in sacrificing for the casualty stuff? And then how finicky is it going to be also, right? Because you have to have the things together at the right time because a lot of those casualty spells are situational-ish effects also. Well, and I, I just want to think back to Exploit from Crimson Vow, right? That like reducing your own board there's a real cost there like i wasn't interested even something like wretched throng in crimson vow felt bad to invest two mana in something and then get an effect when i exploited that creature and i even recouped the loss by rebuying it but i was reducing my own board i really wanted to be sacrificing one drops so i was reducing the like loss of mana or something like a doom dissenter where you know i was getting a 2 2 to replace it on board, like sacrificing something to reduce your own board felt bad. It, it's been years, I think, you know, once War of the Spark came out and you had that board presence people mentality, I don't think we've gone away from that. I think that's <laughs> how limited is, right? Like that felt like an update or a sort of new new chapter in limited and we haven't really gone past that. And I, I, I am nervous about this, but I want to lean into my, my big takeaway that I have from format to format, which is just trust R&D for these mechanics. Like this is a headliner mechanic. I'm going to more often than not, these are well supported and I'm going to go in assuming that these are going to be supported. Right, for sure. Well, and I think the other thing to keep an eye out for on casualty is it's optional to sacrifice yes, the thing, yes. right? So how good is the spell when you don't casualty it? And then mm -hmm. does it get better if you do happen to have the casualty, right? So are you excited about doing it without sacrificing a creature? If so, then it's probably just going to be very good because when you can casualty it, it's going to be great, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's take a look at some casualty slash blitz payoffs. First up, we have Pyrehammer Arsonist. This is two in red for a 2-2 two, two creature at Uncommon. You can pay one, tap it, and have Pyrehammer Arsonist deal X damage to any target where X is the number of permanents you sacrificed this turn. So even just with Blitz, like you are going to be sacrificing that thing at end step. And then in your end step, you can pay one and tap and deal a damage to something. And that, that does point towards some X1 hate right there. Yeah, X1 hate or, you know, potentially if you're very aggressive with Blitz and you have a turn where you Blitz two things, then this can push two damage to the face maybe or kill an X2. Although you're probably not very excited if you're sacrificing two permanents. That's generally not a beneficial thing, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I think it's also interesting to note that this works, if, if there, especially if there's a full cycle of these with those lands, the Evolving Wilds variants. Ooh, yeah. Because those just come into play and you sacrifice them. So that's something. That's nice. Yeah. I think certainly going to be a good card if Casualty and Blitz are good, which we got to assume they are, but it doesn't look busted to me but maybe, maybe it will be i guess we just don't know enough about the creature power and toughness yet yeah and i, I mean i'm just always so like that's what i want <laughs> and like i just love the sacrifice decks in 
limited a lot of the time. Like that's what I, you know, go towards in cube a lot. So I'm I'm already sort of inclined to like this kind of effect. So fingers crossed that it's good. Well, and another missing piece of the puzzle here that would make sacrificing things much more exciting is some sort of a blood artist, right? Well, and I think, are we going to see a sort of steel and sack variant as well? Are we going to see something like that? That seems like it would be way too powerful. Do you really think they're going to print another blood artist so that in standard you can have Oni called Anvil and a blood artist? There's no way, right? I don't know. Who cares about standard? That seems, I mean, I don't care about standard, but that seems (laughs) crazy to me because I think that card is already pretty darn good and constructed and having like four other copies of it seems wild. So we've also got Forge Boss here. This is two black red for a three, four human warrior. Whenever you sacrifice one or more other creatures, Forge Boss deals two damage to each opponent. This ability triggers only once each turn. All right. Four mana, three, four, two damage to an opponent. I mean, that's... That's okay, I guess. I don't know. I'm less less excited about this. I mean, but it seems totally fine. And also very encouraging, I think, for the longevity of the set and the, the creativity or flexibility in the draft portion, that both of these payoffs are payoffs for maestros and riveteers yeah, yeah. and are set in the allied color pair so that you're going to be able to take these and then feel out whether you want to use maestros as your payoffs or the riveteers as your payoffs. And similarly, if we see you know cards that are on maybe the borderline of the obscura that's white black blue and the maestros that are black blue red that care about you potentially you know getting x number of cards in your graveyard in a single turn or something like that there's just ways to make the overlap in those allied color pairs is going to go a long way towards flexibility and power in the draft yeah for sure Let's take a look at some tokens slash casualty fodder. First up is a fave card of mine. This is Courier's Briefcase. One on a green for an artifact treasure at Uncommon. When it enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. You can tap and sacrifice Courier's Briefcase to add one mana of any color. And you can pay Wooberg, tap, sacrifice Courier's Briefcase to draw three cards. Yeah, you're going to feel totally depressed when you sacrifice courier's briefcase as a treasure token <laughs> but, well, but it's the, good to have a, the option it's a good fail case right i mean it's sort of prosperous innkeeper-esque it doesn't gain you the life but it's a two mana one one that comes with a treasure right and then you have this other ability that you can potentially unlock to draw three cards i'm, I'm in for this card well yeah and this being here means yes there's likely to be a five color nonsense deck which we were already assuming but good to have confirmation for sure a little weird though that maybe you want to sacrifice the token and it's not in the casualty colors you know what i mean that it is base mm, green mm-hmm. yeah i guess that is a little weird so it does feel like it's more triggering alliance potentially right and same thing with this next card mage's attendant this is two and a white for a three two uncommon creature And when it enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 blue wizard creature token with one sacrifice this creature, counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. This card is busted in half. Yeah, this card's really good. So you get three mana, three, two plus the one, one. And honestly, like you you won't know it. So similar to Life of Tashiro in Neo, right? You won't necessarily know how much this is cramping your opponent's style, right? If you just have this thing in play with one mana available, you won't know if it's stopping them from curving out or not, but it's definitely going to. Just assume that your opponent is miserable when you play yeah. this card. And it for three mana... You're getting two alliance triggers, right? Yep. Whew, card is great. Card seems really, really good. Uh, last up is Luxurious Libation. This is X and a green for an instant and uncommon. Target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, and you make a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. What a blowout this will be if this is you know, pumping a creature and triggering alliance abilities in combat. Yeah, this is a combat trick that is fierce. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're mostly going to be playing it if you have alliance creatures, but I am assuming you're going to be caring about alliance if you're playing this card, you know? Exactly. Speaking of alliance, we've got an uncommon here that is a payoff for alliance. We've got Rumor Gatherer, one white white for a 2-1 creature elf wizard, and it's got the alliance ability whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. If this is the second time this ability is resolved this turn, draw a card instead. Are there three more beautiful words to see on a magic card other than draw a card? I don't think there are, and specifically on a derpy-ish, like mechanic and theme like this, which are tokens, like token themes generally range from 
not good at all to very good, depending on how good the enablers are. And this as a way to just keep the gas flowing when you're trying to cast creatures, multiple creatures seems very good to me. It's a little weird, right? I mean, three mana two one is really bad stats. Plus white, white in the cost in a three color format has me a little worried. And I will say on top of that, it feels there's like there's a little tension because I think Alliance is generally going to want to be like Cabaretti is going to want to be aggressive. That's what Alliance makes me think of. And then this is a little more value oriented. I don't know. I'm a little Hmm. more out out on this card, I think, than perhaps it sounds like you are. Yeah, no, that's fair. Those are all good points. All right. uh, We talked about this self mill theme a little bit. I want to throw out a couple cards here. First of all, we got Snooping Newsy. What a great name. Blue black for a 2-2 human rogue at common. When it ETBs, you mill two cards. So you put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. And then as long as there are, you alluded to this, five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard, Snooping Newsy gets plus one, plus one, and has lifelink. How, like... This is a really interesting mechanic. So this reminds me of Delirium, right? Which was a mechanic from the second Innistrad set that cared about you having four or more card types in your graveyard. And so now we're not talking about types. We're talking about mana values. How important is it going to be to try and like draft towards this? Like, are we going to be playing a bunch of five drops? Well, it certainly seems like this could be a theme, you know, for blue black as the allied color pair seated in between Maestros and Obscura. And both of those are going to help you do it, right? Sacrificing the things of whatever mana value could potentially help you get there with casualty. And then you can connive and loot away whatever mana value you need to sort of enable this all while self milling also seems reasonable to get there. I mean, this is not that big of a payoff that I'm really trying to get five different mana values in my graveyard. But if there are good payoffs, certainly could be a thing. Well, and this is sort of, I mean, this isn't build around potential, obviously, but it's its highly synergistic in the sense of it's a payoff and an enabler, right? It, it mills two cards, so it's going to get you towards that. And then obviously it's not huge, but being a 3-3 lifelinker for two isn't nothing. I don't know. This has me, is this, I've got my feelers up. I'm looking out for, for seeing how well supported this is going to be. Right. We've also got another card in a similar vein, Graveyard Shift. It says four and a black for a sorcery at Uncommon. And it says this spell has flash as long as there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard. And you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. This I am kind of jazzed about. I mean, these are, these, this effect is not generally good, right? Five mana for Zombify. Return the thing from your graveyard to the battlefield is not generally good. But if there's a self-mill theme, if there's... You know, some if there's looting stuff, which we know there is ways to put large monsters in your graveyard, if you can potentially if there's like a reanimator deck, you know, if we're talking about some some Aquaria style stuff where you're, you know, returning something big for five mana or six mana, that could be pretty darn good and limited. Right. Especially if you're doing it for flash and you eat a thing like you Uh do this thing, you get a six, six or a seven, seven, you eat your opponent's attacker. That could be a huge payoff. So potentially, I think pretty exciting, but we got to see what else is there to support this. Exactly. Uh, Ben, I'm sorry. We do have a card getting the Why Me Award. This is an offer you can't refuse. Single blue for an instant. Counter target non-creature spell. Its controller creates two treasure tokens. This card I don't hate. This this card is just good, right? Well, it depends, right? There's a lot of... I think there's a sort of chain reaction effect. How good are the threats? How good is removal? So then how good is this, right? Those are all sort of things that are going to point to this. I don't think... I don't think an offer you can't refuse. I guess this would be actually insane in Neo to nab a saga for one mana. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that just depends. It depends on the texture of the format for sure. But like, this is not a card I'm going to be salty about because it's not timing like, oh, you had got me when I didn't have two mana up. You know what I mean? This is just an efficient single mana counter a non-creature spell. Like you're potentially going to play this always main deck depending on the texture of the format. And it's going to be a very powerful sideboard card, right? And what card are you alluding to that has you have to pay two mana for? <laughs> I, I don't know. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, we have one reprint so far. I guess Murder is also a reprint. But back from my fave set, Throne of Eldraine, we've got Fairy Vandal. One in a blue for a 1-2 Fairy Rogue with Flash and Flying. And whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Fairy Vandal. Yeah, so this is potentially going to be great for the Obscura family and mm-hmm. conniving, right? Because when you mm-hmm. loot, you're going to draw your second card. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's exactly where this is supposed to go. And hopefully there's going to be other cards in that vein so that Obscura feels synergistic. And you really, there's no other mechanics on face value that look like they overlap with this, right? 
Well, Blitz does because like you're drawing Ooh, that card, right. but but this but, isn't a Blitz color. Exactly right. Blitz is red, green, black, and this is a blue card. So there's there's some tension there. But maybe I don't know. Maybe in Maestros you get some Blitz stuff that's black and red, and then you play this. Like the the more there's that kind of bleed right. of cards and strategies and keywords, the better this format is going to be. I think, especially for folks like us who are going to be drafting it to death. Yes. All right. It's time. The folks have been waiting. They fast forwarded <laughs> through the episode. It's time for great or garbage, Ben. First up, we've got Chrome Cat. Three mana for a 3-2 artifact creature cat at common. When it enters the battlefield, scry one. I mean, if I have to choose greater garbage, I'm choosing garbage, but this is just highly medium, right? This is neither. It is. Yeah, it's, it's neither. I mean, th- it's interesting... I think about some cards, and I do think that this being three mana and not two mana for something like this, like if this was two mana for a two-one scry one, you know, Papercraft Decoy overperformed. If we think back to Zendikar, the Pack Beast overperformed. It was one of the best commons in the set, and I think had some sort of innocuous-looking things like this, but I think this is not going to really do what those cards did in the format, and I think part of that is that it costs three mana. So I'm going to go garbage as well. Right. This looks like filler, and we've said filler is garbage. Yep. Next up, we've got Maestro's Initiate. This is two and a black for a 3-1 human citizen creature. And you've got the cost of four and then either blue or red to exile this from your graveyard, draw two cards, and then discard a card. I mean, again, I wish this was two mana for a 2-1 with this effect, not three mana for a 3-1. But I kind of feel like this is pretty darn gluey, right? Like this is something you can sacrifice for casualty, though again, do you really want to sacrifice a three drop for casualty? But like you can cash this in to get your second 4-3 on turn five, or you happen to mill this and then it's just sitting there waiting for value. I don't know. I think this could be good. Right. I see that as well. The mill or in Obscura, you pitch it to connive and then you get value later. This seems like it's got some high synergy among the blue and black colors. Do it. Do it. Give me the great. I'm I'm going great. Yeah, I'm going to go great as well. I mean, I can't say garbage yet. I think and based on <laughs> based on the synergy possibilities, we got to go great. But again, I think so. If there were an option somewhere in the middle, probably like in the middle, slightly closer to great than actually great, right? But people want the takes, Ben. <laughs> uh, next up is Security Rocks. This is two red green for a 5-4 Rhino Warrior at Uncommon. So four mana for a 5-4. Or you can pay just red green rather than pay this spell's mana cost, but you can only spend mana produced by treasures to cast it in this way. Bounty Hunter. So this is a four mana 5-4 in limited. Unless there's some weird treasure making stuff that we haven't seen, which is possible, but the flavor on this is awesome, right? Like it's efficient when you hire it with treasure. Like oh, that seems cool. I, oh, I enjoy okay, the flavor, okay, okay. right? Like you're paying it in treasure, and then it's and then it's a good security guard for you. I'm too stupid to figure out the the flavor of these cards. <laughs> Where you at? Greater garbage. I think garbage. I think four mana five four is just big dumb and not not that interesting. This is such a weird card. I, is I it great if you're going to reliably be able to get two treasure? But how? <laughs> I don't know. How do you get the two treasure? I don't know. I guess we have to wait and see. You have to get countered. You have to get countered by uh, <laughs> an offer you can't refuse. That's right. That's pretty sick. If you're if you get to do that, if and you get an offer you can't refuse and then get to just use the two treasure immediately to cast a 5/4, that that's going to be awesome. But Seems I don't think uh, I don't think that's going to happen that much. <laughs> All right, next up we've got Unlucky Witness. This is red for a 1/1 human citizen. When Unlucky Witness dies, exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step. You may play one of those cards. I'm going to do my best Tony the Tiger impression here. It's great. This card is awesome. Really? Yeah, this is everything you want for the stupid casualty stuff. Except you're going to have to have so much mana to play the other spell, right? Until your next end step. Oh, yeah. All right. It's very good. This is very good. It's it's just like reckless impulse on a stick. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, this is great. Great confirmed. Next up is Ballroom Fighters. Three white white for a 3-5 at uncommon. When it attacks, it and up to one other target creature you control both gain your choice of lifelink or first strike until end of turn. This is a hard one to put a label on because I could see this being great or just five mana being terrible. But I mean, you're excited about the stats here, I think, for the mana and the ability if you're aggressive I mean, anything that can give me lifelink to two different creatures, (laughs) I'm excited about. That's just personally a mechanic I like in limited quite a bit. I don't know. What do you think about this card? 
Well, I, I was initially a little off-put by it being white-white in a three-color format again. I'm a, it's a little weird that it's a five-mana three-five that only gets the ability when it's aggressive. So those things have me feeling out on it. But I could see, you know, you're in some sort of deck that's like behind. This helps you stabilize because it blocks well. And then this plus something else, and you just get to gain six life or whatever the next turn. I don't know. That could be a really big swing. That's what I think as well. It's hard to say. I don't think it's great, though, for five. Yeah, it's hard for that to be great. I think I'm going to go garbage on this. I'm going to tentatively go garbage as well. But again, somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got every content creator's favorite card here. Witness Protection. This is blue for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green and white citizen creature with base power and toughness 1-1 named Legitimate Business Person. I mean, this is hilarious. So good. Shout out to Jamie Topples, my fellow Pittsburgher who got to preview this card on uh, on Twitter. So good, but not so good as a card. This is whatever. It's Kazmina's Transmutation. It's Frogify. We've seen this effect time and time again. And it's never good, especially, especially with casualty running around. Yeah, this is not going to be playable, right? No, I think you're I mean, I think anytime your opponent puts this on your card, you're going to be fine. And you just I, I think don't ever put this in your deck ever is my I feeling. mean, there's it's probably going to be a time or two. Ben. But- <laughs> Yeah, this is hot garbage. Hot garbage. All right, last up, we've got Rafine's Guidance. This is white for an aura. Enchant creature, enchanted creature, it gets plus one, plus one. And you can cast it from your graveyard by paying two and a white instead of paying its mana cost. So effectively, it's an equipment that costs one that auto equips when it comes into play and then has an equip cost of three. Well, and has synergy with self mill or like uh, connive. That sort of thing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's fair. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm going to tentatively say great, I think, for this. I feel like I'm generally trying to underrate these cards or just like by sort of, I don't know, just my our upbringing in Limited has had us you know, think that these cards are bad and sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. And I think the recurrable nature of this effect might be good. Well, it depends on how aggressive Obscura is, right? Like if you're trying to loot to get aggressive with connive, then this could potentially be exciting as, you know, enabling attacks and then maybe you self mill it, maybe you pitch it to get a counter and mm-hmm. a card. Like it could be really synergistic if Obscura is trying to attack. But other than that, there's not a lot of white things that are going to want an aura to be aggressive, right? So to me, this seems like what Obscura is trying to do and how it plays out. Yeah, well, and that that speaks to one, you know, maybe you'll be able to get this late. But two, like, you know, if you think about if there are flyers with this ability, which I have to imagine in Obscura in white, blue, black, there's going to be flyers that have connive on them as at common. Like, if you're getting some sort of like, three mana, three power flyer, like, you know, a three mana, two power flyer, but you get the plus one plus one counter on it. And then you have the potential to slap this on it. Like that's a big threat in the air. Right. It's a very synergistic package. I, I could see Rafine's Guidance being, I, it's hard to say great right now, but I think has the potential to be good in that deck, which is not, not the segment. So I'm going to say garbage, but I think this card has a lot of potential. Sweet. Okay. I'm going to say great on this, which I, I'm happy about. This is the segment is often garbage or garbage, but I think this time we got some, we got some good ones to talk about. And I think that's it. I'm going to do one quick check on the uh, on the old Mythic spoiler page, and I think we're all caught up. Any last takeaways or any big picture thoughts before we go here? You know, I'm always nervous about three color sets or, you know, we, I guess we haven't had that in the lifetime of the podcast, but two color sets like guild sets or whatever, you know, getting solved or feeling, you know, like you get boxed in too early in the format. But the amount of overlap I'm seeing here has me excited. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what they do with shield counters to try to make those feel synergistic or like they play with the other families, because right now it's very hard for me to see any overlap there. So I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. And I think my big takeaway right now is lands and mana mm. and being able to cast your spells on time. If you've not played a three color format, I think these lands and fixing is going to be very high picks. You already saw, you know, the charms, you saw the signpost uncommons as pretty cheap cards that want you to have one mana of every color. And you do not want to be six, 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 like 18 lands in your mana base. You want to have a lot of fixing and a lot of sources without having to put actual 20 lands in your deck or whatever you know so i think you've not done this fixing is going to be premium and my, my other thought is that if this is close to as good as cons of tarkir was 
I'm going to be very excited about this format. Well, I think one of the things that made cons so good as a three color format was the addition of morph, right? right? The fact that you had, you know, you could go like tap land, tap land, colorless, three mana, two, two on turn three. And that was what a lot of the format was. You know, I don't know if we're going to have that here, which is another thing that may point to our good buddy Chromecat being great. Who knows? (laughs) I doubt that. But I do think that is a point to you're going to need mana to cast your spells because there isn't morph, you know? Totally agree. All right. I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, which you absolutely should be doing, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.